All right, folks, welcome to the Crack House Podcast, TCH. Uh, my name is Michael Sullivan. Joining me, as always now, his name's on the on the marker. He's there. He, he hung his shingle out with me. Chris Muskie Muscolino. What's up, bro? Big Mike, what's going on, man? Nothing. You might talk about the name change. We were uh, debating putting a Mike in the muskrat. Figured it talk, would think too much of... Uh, Mike and the Mad Dog. So, hey, afternoon, everybody. <laughs> Mike was generous enough to, uh, to put my name on the masthead, and uh, appreciate it, man. Hope hope all you guys are enjoying this. Yeah, welcome aboard. Deals deals were made, contracts were signed, envelopes were passed. It's all good now. Um, we'll just jump right into it. Well, as always, we want to thank the fans. Please like, subscribe. Uh, the big thing: share this episode. Or share any episode you want with somebody. See if they like it. You know, like I said, it's all free. It's all below to subscribe, share, comment, rate, review. Let us know what you think. You know, that's pretty much it, folks. It's all free. We're not we're, we're not charging anybody for this. We put it up on YouTube. You know, we, we want to get the word of mouth out. So please, if, if you like uh, what you're hearing with us, share it with somebody that you think would like it as well. And we really appreciate it. Most importantly, everybody, make sure you click the subscribe button. That's the biggest thing. Uh, that's how the channel grows. Again, me and Michael aren't making anything off this, but, you know, I guess uh, the powers at YouTube like the subscribe button. So if you like what you're hearing, like Mike says, you know, spread the word. Make sure you click the subscribe button. We appreciate you. All right. All right. Enough of us trying to make money. Anyway, <laughs> here's the deal. Uh, let's start it off. We got the Royal interview. Uh, happened uh, last week with Oprah. I know, Chris, you watched it. I caught bits and pieces of it. What did you take from it? I thought it was much uh, must-watch TV. I don't know if anybody out there listened to it or watched it, but um, I saw clips of it. You know, I told you like week in advance, and then I, I saw the whole thing in its entirety, like on uh, on on Friday night. And uh, it was interesting, man. It was definitely interesting. I thought it was must-watch TV, to be honest with you. Um, there were a lot of things I took from it. I mean. You know, I, I'm, I don't know if anybody's really got into it, but I mean, she came off as very insincere. That was my, that was my take the, uh, you know, Meghan Markle, you know, I went into it, you know, really not having an opinion one way or the other, you know, the, like you and I talked about, we're both not great fans of the Royal family and stuff. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. I don't really know much about her either. I know that she's a 39 year old C actress, you know, divorcee. Married into the royal family. I didn't even really know the details of it until I started to do some research and watch the interview. And, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes is just Oprah, you know, kind of getting some background. And, you know, you get the, you know, you understand she's a mixed racial person. And, you know, obviously she married Prince Harry. And then they start getting into like, you know, issues with her and Kate Middleton, I guess, uh, Prince William's uh, uh, wife apparently over a wedding dress. And allegedly the story goes that um, Megan made Kate Middleton cry. And during the interview with Oprah, she kind of flipped it around like, no, 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 it was the other way around. Then they were talking about like her career and she was talking about, well, when she got married, you know, she wanted the royal family to kind of, you know, protect her. You know, when you, you know, when you're that big of a name, yeah. you know, she's like, you know, when I'm on the set and stuff, you know, I want them to, um, you know, give me security and blah, 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 blah. Then it started to get really hairy. You know, I like Oprah and stuff, but, you know, 
And again, I'm not looking to offend anybody here. It's just, you know, back and forth. It just seemed like Oprah's interview. She was asking these, these loaded questions, but it almost seemed like it was almost hinging. Like she was trying to bait her, you know, she was trying to racially bait her, you know, to saying, you know, making accusations, accusations against the Royal family. And it just got to the point where during the course of the interview, they were talking about, you know, at some point she, Meghan Markle mentioned that the color of the kid, the kid's skin would come up, you know, as far as how it would come out and how it would be portrayed. And Oprah, you know, Oprah was like a guest. It's like, you're going to ask the question. I mean, you know, come on, don't act surprised, you know, ask a little bit more clarifying question. Because what she did was she asked the question. She goes, I can't believe that. Who said that? <laughs> and, and Marco was like, oh, no, no, I, I, I'm not going to mention it. And then later on during the interview, Harry, uh, Harry came on and, um, you know, he said the same thing. He said, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to discuss it, you know, mm-hmm. and it just like it just came off very insincere. You know, I whether it's true or not, I don't know either ways. I mean, I could very easily see how. Yeah, it was true. yeah, yeah. That that because that's but, the whole thing. I think a lot of people are taking away from it when right. she comes out and says someone in the royal. Fit, well, who? And she says, right. no, well, I'm not going to name names. And so it, it's unfortunate if it is true, it's making her look like the bad guy. And if it's right. bullshit, she's just making, you know, she's just making up a story. She's just trying to get more people to, you know, buy into her bullshit. They said, I think she's writing a book or, you know, that. and I think she. there was just an article today in the paper about her considering a run for president. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she's got it. She's got ambitions. and stuff. So she comes off as a gold digger. And listen, you know, you want to give her the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, listen, you know. Harry, you know, we, we talked about off air, you know, about um, Harry said during the course of the interview, he didn't want history to repeat itself. And I guess the back story is, you know, 25 years ago, his, his mother died. He's estranged from the father. The father is really not talking to him because of this whole thing with, with the wife. And they stripped him of the titles. And 25 years ago, his mother died under, you know, you know questionable circumstances. Yeah. For the conspiracy people out there, you know, the theory is that the press chased them through the, you know, the tunnel, the press, you know, they were divorced at the time, Prince Charles and, and Princess Diana. She was with an Egyptian guy. And, you know, if you want to buy into the whole racism stuff with with the royal family, you know, I guess the link that you make with the comment that Harry made was, you know, they killed his mother 25 years ago because she was with a, um, I guess, an Arab individual. And they didn't like the dynamics of it and the images of it. So they got rid of her. And now 25, 35 years later, you know, he's marrying a, you know, woman of mixed, you know, color, mixed race, whatever you want to call it. Again, I'm not looking to offend anybody. You know, I don't know how to put it, but um, not that there's make anything like that. Right, right. Not that, you know, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, he clearly makes an analogy between the two. You know, he's like when he yeah. says, well, I don't want history repeating itself because they're taking the security away. Well, what do you mean by that? And then she's, you know, look, I like Oprah, but it's like at the end of the day, Oprah, Come on, man. Just clarify the questions. Don't don't act surprised when you're asking these racially loaded questions. And then when you're not getting an answer, you know, just looking like, you know, like a bomb hits you. It's like, you know, if you're going to do the interview, just ask a little bit better questions. But I can tell you this much. The people in England, they're kind of siding with the royal family. A lot of people. Oh, yeah. You know, circle the wagon. She's an American. Right. They're like, fuck her. Right. You know, I mean, they- a lot of people believe she's lying. You know, yeah. they don't. They don't find the allegations that she said credible, especially the stuff about not Googling the royal family, you know, before she married into the family. It's like, 
you know, come on, man. You had no idea, mm-hmm. you know, who you're marrying. You know, what is this? A Disney movie? He's the undercover prince. Right. And then she finds out. No, I mean, and, and then she was talking about her career. She was talking about a career, Mike. And it's like she was on TV and no deal. She opened right. You were a C actress, man. You were nobody. You know, I mean, come on. You're a divorcee, 39 years old. Get nothing wrong with it. But it's like, come on, man. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're not you're not a, an A-list actress. <laughs> you know, you're not someone with a humongous career here. You know, uh, let's put it this way. Um even if she told the truth, let's say everything was true. The, the thing I took from it, it was almost like an act of like racial McCarthyism, you know, the act of like hurling an accusation that can't be proved or dispro- disproved because the person that's making the accusation isn't going to divulge the details of it. So there's no way yeah. for the royal family to deny it or confirm it. And same with these guys, because they're not willing to divulge the details yeah. of it. So if you're going to do that, you know, just don't say, you know, it's like, you know, these newspapers that make up these stories or give these stories about politics or whatever. And there's no, you know, you, you don't know where the sources yeah, are. They won't divulge. Yeah. The, the questions. Yeah. She was asking like blind item questions, you know, like just throw something out there just, just for like the shock value of it. Now, personally, right. I hate the Royal family and I hope they do get canceled. But <laughs> unfortunately, if you're just going to make vague accusations and not back it up, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And now they're coming back saying, she, she did, like you said, uh, the Kate Middleton stuff where she flipped it around. And now the, the royal family's coming out and said she was a bully. That this woman was a right, bully right. with the whole thing. And the last thing, like you said, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that probably feel like you. I, I'm ambivalent towards the royal family. I couldn't care less one way or the other. But, you know, I, I, I think the biggest takeaway for me was these people like in this California home, they're in this huge backyard. Yeah. They're rich people. You know, they don't have real problems other than, you know, what what they're mentioning, which I'm sure is pretty serious. But give me a break. The multimillionaires, boohoo, you're worth millions of dollars. You're sitting down with Oprah in a $14.7 million home in California. You're young, you're healthy, you got a kid, you got another kid on the way. Your whole life is in front of you. And it's like, you know, I can't you're throwing these for a million. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not feeling, you know, bad. but. You, know, you got you got like you said you're in a 20 million dollar house in where was it uh santa barbara santa barbara right oprah basically walked to the interview because her billion dollar mansion is right down the block from them i mean right you know, i think barbara streisand lived over there yeah it's billionaire millionaires row i don't feel bad for you it's not like harry's getting up at you know 8 a.m to dig a ditch every day it's it's right, not like right. he's got to go find a job it's not, it's not like you know he's busting his ass in sales every day you know and she's got a, you know what it is she's doing a little just, something on the side if you want to take the populist approach with these guys they're just not likable you know either one of them yeah. they don't come yeah. off as likable people so like even if everything that they're saying is true the whining the narcissism the preening you know the desperateness the bowing the scraping before the altar of woke and stuff you know, they come off like as weak. They almost come off like as mercenaries. Like um, they definitely both lack charisma. Like he he's like uh, he's almost like a paper figure, you know, the guy. And uh, there's no humor to either one of them. Um, they come off like as being massively privileged. Like you really yeah. you want to talk about white privilege. That's the epitome of it. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, on both ends, even though she's, you know, half, you know, half and half. But they come off as like really pre- pretentious. She comes up extremely like as very manipulative. And very self-involved to the point that, you know, you just don't feel sorry for them. You know, like even if she's saying what's true and then 
to compound it, you know, I'm watching the interview, which again was good. Oprah did a good job, but I'm like, at certain points, it's like, come on, Oprah, you know, your, her, her reactions to it, you know, the questions which were really loaded at, at some point, it's like, you really expect them to say anything along the lines of what you're asking. You know, you want, you want to implicate on national television that the racial, uh, that the royal family is a bunch of racists. Look, maybe they are, you know, I mean, there's probably a good amount of evidence throughout the years that, you know, they are, but if you're going to ask that kind of question, you know, my takeaway was, you know, you know, go into it, you know, hold their feet to the fire, you know, don't let them just get up on there and just, you know, do what they did. And I just think the whole thing just came off to the point where like, even if you felt sorry for them, yeah, you know, you couldn't. And it just, you know, felt like they were appearing to the, uh, appealing to like the worst people in the world, you know, the, yeah, it was like a quick, uh, it was, it was an attention grabber, you know, to, to, so they can promote something six months from now. You know, some book or whatever exactly. else is going to come out or TV show. I'm, I'm sure she's going to capitalize, you know, as Absolutely. much as the royal family is going to spew out whatever they're going to spew out about her. She's going to come right back and she's definitely going to swing this into like maybe a talk show, a book, whatever, whatever. And anything to keep herself in the limelight to make money. And the opposite end, I think if you don't believe her, I think, you know, I think the takeaway was real simple. Their goal was to appeal to the masses that, you know, the, the elites out there that, you know, consider self-confession and yeah. narcissism and race baiting and playing the victim, you know, and behaving in an appalling way. And, you know, to the, the corporate media and the big tech and left wing Hollywood, they're like, hey, look, we're one of you, you know, let us in, you know, you know. <laughs> Then she made another comment that was just mind boggling. I, th- I don't know if anybody saw it, you know, if anybody caught what she was saying. She was like appealing to like her, you know, her, her racial organs. And she was saying, hey, look, you know what? Look at me, you know, to the, all the people out the world that look like her, you know, um, you know, you too can be part of the royal family. You know, you look, look, look like me. And then she mentioned they chose to go to Canada and we chose Canada because it's 70 percent African-American or um, I'm sorry, black. I'm thinking to myself, have you ever been to Canada? I mean, Canada is not 70% black. She, I don't know if you caught it and I'd have to go mm-hmm. back and rewatch it, but I don't know if it was a typo or whatever, but it was just like a little, again, misleading, you know? I mean, if you've ever been to Canada, it's not the most racially diverse place in the world. You know what I'm saying? I mean, for anybody yeah. who's ever been there, it's I mean, a bunch we have relatives in winter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's basically, whatever. that's like my the, take. On the French, Scottish, and Irish, and they all stayed up there. And they all say a boot. Right, you know, right. That, that's it. Um, but like you said, I mean, listen, we, we we spent more than enough time on this garbage anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm sure this, this isn't going away anywhere. And it's going to be around for a while with these with uh, the royal family and her. So we'll see what happens. Um, we were talking uh, off air. We watched a couple of documentaries. Uh, the Biggie uh, Smalls documentary was just out on netflix uh i know you watched it i watched it i kind of didn't take away it you know it, it shed light on a couple of things because i watched there's an older documentary by a guy nick nick bromfield about biggie and tupac that i watched years ago and it never got into like you know they uh they interviewed biggie smalls mother in this in the documentary years ago with bromfield and she's in this one as well uh at the end, they say she she's worth about $40 million from everything with uh, his estate. He's actually worth, since he died, I mean, I don't know if you saw that at the end, he's worth $160 million now. 
since he died. His estate has made like that much money. But it gets into like how the old documentary says he wasn't a drug dealer. This one talks about him getting locked up in South Carolina. Uh, it gets into his assassin, you know, him getting killed basically out in uh, L.A. there and uh, how they think there was a lot of gang. They think there was a lot of crooked cops involved, but it's like no one can really prove anything. And if you watch both documentaries, there's a lot of people that were involved that are already dead. So I think like there's a lot of people not that can't talk, not that they won't talk. They can't talk because they're dead. I've seen a couple of the documentaries and obviously anybody between our age, you know, our age bracket, we grew up with him, you know, he's an icon in the music industry, you know, music for anybody that hails from New York city that grew up during that time, you know, from like 1993, 94 ish to like, you know, modern day, the guy's just an icon, you know, he might as well be our version of, uh, you know, Elvis or whoever, you know, and, you know, when it comes to New York city music and the music scene, you know, as far as the the murder, I mean, and, and I, look, I watched the documentary. I liked it. It went a little bit a lot into like the drug dealing stuff, you know, and how he, you know, hit the streets of, you know, Brooklyn and how he was really an icon there and how he, you know, it showed a lot of, with the mother. Um, it didn't really go into too lot uh, too much about, you know, how he was killed. You know, they've kind of touched. Yeah, it's just, end, yeah. Which, you know, I think is like you said, you know, whether these people are alive or not, I think that's the bigger, you know, um, you know, the big story, you know, what was it something that was perpetrated by the LAPD? Uh, was it a result of Tupac, you know, the, you know, the beef with Tupac, you know, who got, you know, killed a, a year earlier? I mean, I have friends, you know, who are, who are Jamaican, who I grew you know, who I'm fr very friendly with. They have some theories about it. You know, one guy said to me that he thought it was a blood crypt type related type thing, which seems to be something that came up during like the Tupac, you know, murder too. So you don't really know if it was a case of, was it Suge Knight? Was it the, was it a blood and crypt type thing? Was it a case of just beef between the two of them? You know, they go into like the whole thing that's been kind of, you know, you know, hammered to death with, you know, Tupac getting shot up in the elevator in, you know, November yeah. of 95 or 94, whatever it was. And then um, they really didn't go into too much like the stuff between Tupac and the wife, you know, the, the, the whole story hit him up. Yeah. Which I used to play as a DJ back in the 90s. It's probably the most incendiary piece of music, but one of them that yeah. I've ever played, you know, the guy's basically talking about how he's yeah. Biggie, yeah. Biggie Smalls' wife. And um, really, really inflammatory. You know, Biggie made a song and then he kind of came out with it. But um, I liked it. I enjoyed it. You know, obviously I enjoyed Biggie. I liked the, you know, I liked how they talked about the guys Jamaican roots. I didn't know how the, uh, I guess the uncle was a big time DJ MC in Jamaica. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was pretty cool. I'm a big Molly, Molly fan and I'm a big fan of Jamaican culture, you know, and reggae music. So, I mean, I like that. But um you know, a lot of the conspiracy type things that I think kind of, you know, like you mentioned, you know, I don't think they really did a good job of touching on that. And even though it was covered on other yeah. documentaries. Yeah. Like I said, you go back. This yeah. one was just like a quick hour about his like, you know, you know, they just went over his life real quick. Like you said, it really doesn't get in. There's no conspiracy stuff about how he was killed. It's just he got shot when you right. watch the documentary. Uh, you go back to that Bromfield one I watched and the whole documentary is just getting into Biggie and Tupac. Yeah. Who was, who was involved with who, uh, the gangs that were out in LA, uh, they were using a lot of like off duty LA cops. 
that were kind of some of them were kind of shady, shady dudes. A couple of them were fired. So they were ex-cops that were all providing security. Um, I mean, not to veer off too much, but it gets into, I think, the Tupac murder. Uh, one of the shows I watch about the Tupac murder, they interview uh, one of his security guys. And now these guys always had guns on them. And that night they were told by like one of their head guys, no guns tonight. Yeah, it's pretty that, interesting. Yeah, it was like the night they were killed. So, it, it, I mean, there's a lot of conspiratorial type stuff you could definitely bring up with all this stuff. And I think that's an interesting part of it. I like the music, you know, from the Netflix documentary, which is really good. I recommend it. I mean, I think you watched it as well. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. I, I kind of like the, you know, it shows you how he started on the streets and it definitely shows you, I guess there was a scene of a guy like in a record store who was mixing the music and kind of got his music out there, yeah. you know, the people into music and the DJ industry and stuff. That was interesting to watch because I think he was mixing it and he was putting some of like his raps to the, to the beats and stuff. Yeah. And he showed you how he advanced it to the next level with, with Puffy, you know, Puffy uh, was very influential. Maybe later in the podcast, when we touch on one of the other topics, we'll kind of wrap that back because I have an interesting story with him kind of with Tyson as well. But um you know, I, w- I wish they would have gotten more into that. They start talking about, I guess, the little peripheral drug dealers and stuff that he was hanging out with that, you know, got killed, you know. Um, oh, you know, yeah. He, yeah. He had a lot of people in the neighborhood that were based, uh, you know, the people, th- those guys got, that got interviewed. It seemed like they were all either just getting out of jail. There were guys they couldn't find that were dead. You know, the one guy he hung out with, that was the other main drug dealer. Yeah. He got his. <coughs> oh, excuse me. And, uh, yeah, he he was the real deal out there. He basically ran Fulton Avenue out in Brooklyn, and uh, maybe you caught up with him from there. Maybe they, they, you know, like you said, the shit between him and Tupac. No one really knows. And and I thought it was really cool. I thought, well, I, one thing I really like, I like the populist thing. Like like I said, I I like people, you know, all sorts of people. Growing up in Astoria, I was just talking about this the other night, you know, with a couple of friends and stuff, and I was like, you know. Me and my friend Mike, you know, we do a podcast together and we're from a story and stuff. And, you know, where we grew up, we grew up with all sorts of people, man. We grew up with Italians, Irish, Indian people, black people, Spanish people. It was like old. It was like a melting pot. And it's like, you know, when you go into the real world and you delve outside of a story and, you know, you go to Long Island, the New Jersey, or suburbs or different states, you, you sometimes don't get that mix. You know, part of the reason I'm good at my job, and I'm sure that one of the ways that you were good with your job is that. You had such a, a mixed mosh of people that you you encountered that nothing ever phased you and yeah. you were able to integrate, you know, back and forth between cultures and people and races and stuff with no problem. And a lot of people in, in this day and age can't do that, Mike. Um, the reason I bring it up is at the end of the Netflix documentary with Biggie, the thing that that touched me was, you know, you see that when his funeral was going down and the people in, in Brooklyn, you know, were lining up in the streets. It looked like something like a, when a president would have died, you know, or like a, a big dignitary would have died. Yeah. And it was cool because you could see these people like really, you know, they're emotional, you know, and, and they related to the guy, whether you liked him or not. I liked his music. You know, it was definitely touching. You know, I'm sure maybe Elvis years ago had it and maybe Michael Jackson. Yeah. But this was on a street level and being street people ourselves, you know, coming from, the, you know, look, I'm not going to portray like I'm some from hard hood, you know, you I are some <laughs> hard hood. But, you know, essentially, you know, you grew up on the streets, you know, you're, you're you know, you're a street person. And I related to that. I enjoyed that. But uh, one one thing to add to that, they didn't show that that whole funeral procession turned into a giant melee afterwards that he didn't see. <laughs> yeah, they didn't show that part that I remember. 
I wasn't there for it. I know guys that went out there for it and it turned into a little bit of a melee afterwards. Yeah, that's sad to say. It was one of those like, hey, it's over. Let's go. Show's over. Go home. Nobody wanted to go. No one wanted to leave. But I mean, speaking of going from one real rapper to kind of like a a fake rapper. Well, whatever you want to call the guy. uh, I told you about the Takashi 6ix9ine guy. (laughs) He's got this guy is a weirdo. He's got like two documentaries out now. One's on Showtime. The other you can catch on Hulu. I saw the Hulu one and I'm going through the uh, Showtime one now. This guy basically like bought his fame. He was a kid named uh, his name's Danny Hernandez. He's from Brooklyn. He started out as a clothing designer. Started out as a clothing designer. He would design these whacked out. He would make he would buy like a hoodie and then he would sew the words like pussy on the front of it. He would make hats. He's got hats that say like cunt on it. You know, all this shock value clothing. And he started to seems like he did a little okay with that. And then just wanted to be a rapper like this kid. He basically like figured out the algorithm of how to be a rapper. It was do some outrageous shit, look really outrageous. So what does he do? He gets into that six nine thing. He's got six nine. He's got tattoos from head to toe. His face is covered with a giant six nine. He's got the little uh, what's the movie saw? That little jigsaw. He, yeah, yeah. He's got that on the side of his face. He's got all these different tattoos. Uh, he's got rainbow colored hair. So he goes for the outrageousness. Then he needs his next step, which is I got to get associated with a gang. So he hooks up with uh, a blood set in Brooklyn, Treyway. And I think he kind of makes them a deal more like you guys take care of me and I'll eventually take care of you. And he doesn't take care of them at all. I mean, he throws them some money. I think there was a monetary value on it. And little Danny wasn't uh, meeting his obligations. So these guys basically carjack him one night and kidnap him. (laughs) And the reason you can watch it in the documentary is the feds were watching him. It was a whole Rico case against this gang. And he just basically fell into it now that he was hanging out with them. And he ratted them all out. Yeah. I mean, he was like nothing, man. You know, he did not listen to the, the Jimmy Burke of, you know, never rat on your friends and always keep your mouth always shut. Keep your mouth shut, right? This kid went right into court and was like, it was him, it was him, it was him, it was him. Yeah, they they did all that. He he wound up, I think, convicting like eight, I think eight guys went to jail because of him. One guy, the most I think one guy's doing is like 15. And then there are guys doing like six years, five years, two years, whatever. But he basically he didn't want to pay them. They carjack him one night. Uh they take him to his house. He's got to give them like 200 grand or 100 grand worth of his jewelry just so they won't kill him. Then they put him back in his car, in their car. They're driving him somewhere. He thinks he's getting whacked. He jumps out of the car and just takes off running. And that, that's when the whole thing happened. You know, the feds eventually pick him up. He rolls like a, like a, you know, you know, he's a Sammy. He's the Sammy the Bull of the rap game, this guy. I mean, he gave up everybody. And it, it, it really it's it's a funny it's a funny video because he's still trying to like legitimize himself as this gangster rapper. It's like, dude, you broke rule number one. You ratted everybody out. I didn't get a chance to watch the documentary, Mike, but I can tell you this. You know, in the DJ business, you know, some of the spots I DJ are very young, they're very urban. And I can tell you, you know, look, 
I have a, I go all over the place when I, when I DJ music, I can play everything from like sixties to modern stuff from rap to alternative to heavy metal to punk rock and in the span of an eye. But I can tell you there were certain, you know, I'm sure we'll get around to this in a second or two, but there's certain guys that popped up when I first came back to DJing and six, nine was one of them. You know, Pop Smoke was another guy, too. I can't tell you the amount of nights that I would be in Queens or wherever DJing. And, you know, at least two or three times a night, there are certain artists that are always requested. And he always came up, you know, for the older crowd that listens to us, maybe our parents, whoever's out there, they're not going to know who the hell we're talking about. But for the younger crowd out there, this guy is huge. You know, I can tell you at least two or three times a night I get a request for him. As far as his YouTubes, like when he drops a song, you know, it's different <coughs> than the old days. You know, music isn't distributed the way it was 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, now it's digital. Now it's through YouTube. They drop it. The kid dropped a YouTube video, I think, last year of a new single. It was through the roof. It was, yeah. I think, at the time, the most views for a YouTuber, yeah. you know, of any sort of genre. Maybe maybe have that off a little bit, but it was up there. It was a well over a million views, like in a span of a couple yeah. hours. I so mean- the guy's a, he's kind of a big deal, the kid. He's he's kind of like from what you watch of it now, he's kind of like weaning off. It's starting to he's on a downslope right now because they do show one thing in one of the documentaries about how after all this happened, he threw out one single. It was number one. I think it was the one you were talking about last year. Right. But then the next week it went from like number one to like number 35 on the chart. I'm sure there's a sense of like the tour already uh, with him, you know, and stuff. So, I mean, I, I just can't believe the kids alive. Like this yeah, you know, ratted out of the Bloods, the Bloods gang. If you ever watch the videos of this kid and you can go and watch him on YouTube, he calls out other rappers. I think he just had a, a feud with Meek Mill, which was real funny because they're both standing behind like these eight foot tall fucking uh, bodyguard bouncer guys. And they're, they're like motherfucking each other like you a bitch. No, you a bitch. Meanwhile, they're, they're 10 feet apart from each right. other. No one's going to, you know, it's so uh a lot of this stuff, you know, with these guys, you know, you know, especially the guys, the rap guys, especially from areas where we live or in California, where it's, you know, this the rap music is huge and where most of it originates. Not to say that yeah. it doesn't in the South or in the Midwest, but for the most part, New York City and Los Angeles are really the epicenters of this kind of stuff. And it just seems a lot of these murders and these these unsolved murders and these these violent shit, you know, things that happen to these guys. A lot of it stems from blood and crip activities, yeah. gang-related activity that, you know, you, and you can't decipher where, you know, starts and where yeah. it ends. You know, I guess even in law enforcement and stuff, I mean, you wouldn't know. But, um, you know, it's just interesting. You know, some of these guys, you know, you know, they end up getting killed, you know. I mean, very young. Pop Smoke's another guy. Yeah, well, you know, it, you know what it seems like almost? If you want to compare it to anything, these these young rappers are going to these gangs for like money and credibility. Right. You know, it, it, it's almost like you can liken it to the way Frank Sinatra went to the mob to get like, yeah, near to eternity. Good analogy. You know, right. He, he needed a little muscle. And that that's what a lot of these kids do not. I mean, this kid, Danny Hernandez, the Takashi six, nine kid, he had nothing to do with gangs at all. He was this little clothing designer, figured out some raps. No, he needed the gang cloud for the raps went to them, worked out this deal. It didn't go the way they thought it was going to go. And, you know, a lot, you know, eight guys went to jail because of it. I give a little shout out to an ex-employee, a uh, co-worker of mine, my friend, Miguel. <laughs> Miguel looks exactly like Takashi 6'9". And like, if I show you a picture of the kid, like 
you would think it's the same guy except yeah. without the tattoos and stuff on his face. And like whenever the kid made up a crazy, uh, crazy um, YouTube video and stuff, we kind of would like supplant Miguel's face with this kid's face. Yeah. And like anything that our employee did that we didn't like, you know, the guys, the kid's always giving like the middle finger and he's making s- stupid, you know, faces during his videos, yeah. which plant Miguel's face, you know, with like, you know, stuff that was derogatory towards our employee. <laughs> but, you know, listen, it's, it's a pretty interesting topic. I didn't get a chance to watch the documentary, but um, I did the biggie one. I did this. I know we wanted to talk about uh, a little bit about Kirk Cobain on the other end of the spectrum and, and the whole conspiracy theory with him. And, you know, talking about music documentaries and stuff. I don't know if anybody out there ever watched Soaked in Bleach. Did you get ever get a chance? Yeah, that, yeah, that was the HBO one, right? Right. Yeah. So um, I'm a big alternative rock guy as well. You know, I like all sorts of music. And you know, we talked about Biggie. You talked about, you know, the conspiracy stuff with uh, Takashi 69 There's a little bit of stuff, you know, that goes into the Pop Smoke story, too. You know, for the people out there, he's another was an up, up and coming rapper. To me, he was almost getting to the level of Biggie was 30 years later, came from Brooklyn, yeah. died in Los Angeles. But um, the Cobain thing for guys our age and people are into the rock scene, you know, anybody's watched Soaked in Bleach or read the book, you know, it's not Kurt Cobain, you know, the story is that he committed suicide. And, you know, the way I'm relating this is that Biggie got killed, right? Biggie got killed, Tupac yeah. got killed, Pop Smoke got killed. Well, the theory is, you know, that documentary talks about how Kurt Cobain also got killed. And the theory is that I guess Courtney, Courtney Love had motive because he was threatening to divorce her. He was also threatening to write her out of the royalties of all the songs. Allegedly, he wrote the, wrote the second whole album. Yeah, then- yeah, that's a big, uh, uh, a big, like supposedly known secret. In- exactly. So she had the motive. There are people out there that say that they approached him, her, uh, well, they approached them in terms of whacking him for for like $50,000 or whatever it is. Again, you could call it hearsay. And then last piece is the way the guy died, you know, look, I was a huge Nirvana fan. I'm a huge punk rock fan, rock fan, whatever you want to say. And the way he died, he had a shotgun basically propped up against his his chin. He had a string attached to, to, the, to the trigger. And basically he was shooting up. And he was shooting up heroin as he was going to you know, blow his head off. Make a long story short, the toxology reports reported that the level of toxi- toxicity in his, in his veins, even with the amount of level of tolerance that he built up to the drug, the minute the needle would have hit the vein, it would have rendered him basically helpless. He wouldn't have been able to do anything. He wouldn't have even been able to pull the string to pull the gun. So what they're saying is they had motive. She had motive. Yeah. Number two, for him to have done that, either he would have needed help to pull the string so that the, the, the gun would, would have killed him. Mm-hmm. Or two, it was set up or arranged. So I don't want to really get too much into it because I know we have other stuff to talk about. But, you know, when you talk about musical, you know, violence and, you know, Biggie Smalls and Tupac yeah. and smoking, it's a pretty interesting take, you know, other than just the time honored, you know, theory, you know, well, story that. Yeah, that's another you know, theory. Yeah, it's, it's one of those conspiracies that have been, and I think he, he wasn't found for a couple of days, right? No, not at all. He and snuck actually, into like his guest house or whatever. He's found in a different part of the well, room. He, he left rehab. Right. He snuck back into his house and just went into the guest room and whatever. That's correct. Yeah. They yeah. didn't find him for like three or four days. And I guess when they, I guess the law enforcement people that were handling the case, they reopened the case because allegedly there was all sorts of discrepancies on the yeah. murder. 
So it was a pretty interesting thing. I found it interesting. I don't know if I, I go full well, you know, in terms of like, I don't have anything against Courtney Love. I like that right. second album. I don't think anything of her either ways, but it was a pretty interesting story. And if you do believe in conspiracy things and you, you know, you really talk about Pop Smoke and, you know, Biggie and Takashi 69 you know, from the other end of the spectrum, you know, the Cobain story is a pretty, you know, pretty interesting yeah. story if you have a shot. Yeah, you can watch the, that guy Bromfield that did the Biggie Tupac also did one called Kurt and Courtney. Yeah, yeah, I saw watch, that. You can watch that one, too. And that gets into like it. It basically paints her off as like a huge gold digger. Exactly. Like she latched on to this guy and she knew like her, uh, you know, she hitched she hitched her wagon to the right star. And then I think she just wanted to get rid of him. Even go back to yeah. Meghan Markle, you know, I mean, look, you know, as much as you want to like her or take her side of the story, there's an element of that, that, like you said, with, with Courtney Love comes off, you know, she seems like a gold digger, you know, yeah. on some level, you know, but whatever. Speaking of gold digging, did you get your huge stimulus check yet or you're still waiting in the mail or you're not? No, no, no. I mean, I talk on Twitter a lot, Mike, you know, <laughs> so what I did basically is I took my profit sharing money from my company, which is very generous every year. And I basically took my stimulus money. I have a Vanguard account where my 401k goes, but I took that money and I've just plunked it into a Robin Robinhood account. And I'm basically trading stocks with it. I'm doing okay with it. I mean, nothing major, but um, the newer one I haven't take I haven't gotten yet. Allegedly, I think that if you make less than seventy five thousand a year or one hundred and fifty thousand in terms of like if you're filing jointly. You're going to get fourteen hundred dollars per person, and then if you have a kid under the age of eighteen, I believe, I think you get another fourteen hundred. And then for the tax credit, I was talking to my accountant. Um, the child credit, I think, is two thousand per year, which is going to be up into certain income levels, extended to thirty six hundred for the year. Uh -huh. And then if you make, I guess, a certain amount of money over that, it gets upgraded from two thousand to three thousand. So most people that make under 150 grand or 75,000 individually should get, you know, some money back from the government, you know, in the form of the stimulus. And if you got kids, allegedly what they're talking about is they're talking about how you might get a $300 stipend to kind of bridge the gap between the two to $3,000 child care credit, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So someone's going to get a few bucks. I'm not getting anything. Oh, that's all I know. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, what are we going to talk about? Oh, yeah. Sleepy Joe. Not doing any press conferences. You know, Sleepy Joe. First time in 100 years that a president's gone over 50 days without a press conference. Right. And, and you know what it is, Mike? We talked know. about this. And, it, you know, look, I think there's one side of the, the, the political party that is just waiting for this guy to really say something ridiculous or have that weekend at Bernie moment where like, oh, Look, the guy's got dementia. Oh, yeah. he's messed up. That that oh, yeah, did. that's exactly what it looks like when you when listen, we try and call it down the middle on this show. You know, we hit both sides. You know, 50 days, hasn't had a press conference. They got him wandering around on a couple of things, you know, where they got him on video. He doesn't know where he's going, he's wandering around. This is this is what makes people want to talk. This is what makes conspiracy people talk. This, you know, think about it. Six months ago, when you watch Fox News, the world was great. And, you know, we'll be Corona. And on CNN, the world was ending and we're all going to die of Corona. And now six months right. later, it's those stories, those stories just flip flop channels. Right. So it's like, you know, and look, kid, you know, you want to 
you want to get behind the president, whoever he is, no matter how how you voted one way or the other. I'll be honest with you. I didn't vote for him. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. But listen, I accept him. I want him to succeed. I'm an American. You know, he's the president. But it almost feels like the last guy that was president didn't get that shot. The minute the guy got elected, the other side didn't want to accept him. <laughs> Regardless of what you thought of his personality or not, whether you thought his policies were good or not, the guy didn't get a fair shake. And I think now on the opposite end, now that their candidate is in, you got the same thing coming from the other side. And just a bad cycle, man. It's just like whoever the president is, whether it's Obama, Biden, whether it's Trump, whether it's George Bush or Clinton, whoever, you really just want to get behind the guy. And it's just, you know, on some level, it's comical with this guy because I, I really feel like he's not right. You know, mentally, you know, uh, there are a couple of things, you know, even when he was during the debates, like I'm watching him and it's like it almost felt like watching my, you know, an elderly parent kind of stumble on stuff, you know, and it's like, well, you know, he's got his he's got his capabilities, but he, it seems like he does not There was also a thing I know during the debates, a couple of shows, they uh, they had talked about it. Now, he has a bad stutter, the president. Okay, that I didn't know. Yeah, he he suffered from stuttering as a child. I think he's controlled it. But they say the one thing that can throw off a stutterer is interrupting. That's why if you watch every Uh, debate, you know, Trump would come in and go wrong. No, no. And it would he was trying to throw him off. He wanted him to stutter and he wanted him to falter during the debates. Okay, that I didn't know. So makes sense. Yeah, that was. uh... But when you see him now, like. He's not answer- He's not taking questions. Like I said, this is the first time in 100 years that he uh, president's gone over 50 days without a press conference. And I think he's got a lot of stuff to talk about with Corona, the stimulus package and everything else. And he doesn't want to talk about it. You know, you have, you know, all right, we live up in New York. We don't know what's going on. The crisis at the border, as people want to call, because that's what Fox will call it now, the crisis right. at the border. And on CNN, it'll be like, oh, we're helping all these migrants coming in now. So um, it seems like uh, they're, they're tripling the number at the border right now, as far as like yeah, they, they, the they can handle. Right? Yeah, they can handle like three thousand and they expect it to be at like almost twelve thousand by the end of next week. I don't really know what's going on, Mike. I just you know, you see stories from both ends of the spectrum. Like you said, one mm-hmm. side will portray it as a crisis. The other is like, OK, a humanitarian effort. But apparently there's some there's some bad shit going on down there as far as I think just the conditions for these people to come up here, yeah. whether you agree with it or not. In terms of like COVID, like none of these people are being tested. Yeah. So like what That's we talked about last thing, week, yeah. you know, all right, fine. You know, you disagree with the, the mask policy down there. But on the flip side, you're letting all these people in and you don't want to test them. And the response that you get is that, hey, it's not our responsibility. No, come on. And it's just going back to him. You know, let's say there's nothing wrong with him. And just, you know, he's just being overly cautious. It just seems like I guess his handler is the press secretary, especially that he has. It just seems like they're shielding him. You know, it's like every time a question is asked, you know, she kind of answers it for him where they kind of like, okay, that's it. Joe's done. See you next week. Or or just, yeah, it's even some of like the language they're using, like uh, for the stuff. We're going to try and discourage people. What are you going to say? Right. Sorry, we're closed. Come back. Right. Come back in an hour. The, the the ice cream machine's broken. Sorry, you can't come in. You know, that's right. Uh, and I think that was a big that's a big difference between this guy and, and the last one. I think the last one, the people that he chose to be his handlers in terms of like the press secretary and all. I think a lot of the stuff that got him in trouble and kind of, you know, painted the other side, you know, really, really despising him. I think could have been solved if like 
he had a, I'm almost giving Biden credit for picking the, the woman that he has as the press secretary. She seems like they're doing a good job, whether you agree with it or not, of protecting him yeah. or saying anything stupid. And I think the, the last guy, he just had very poor handlers in some regards. Again, regardless of what your, you know, your opinion yeah. was of him, it's just like when he was ready to say something stupid or say something offhanded, you know, this guy, his press secretary seems to say, okay, that's it. See you again, you know, next week. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. You know who needs him? Uh, Cuomo needs him as a press. Who's <laughs> that chick as a press secretary, man? Because he. I got to tell you, man, it, whoever's watching this podcast again. Fredo no, ain't sure. looking good, man. Right. I'm you sure. Know, whoever, oh, he's not Fredo. He's, what would sure. he be? He'd be Michael, right? He'd be Michael. Well, not even Michael. I think he'd be like. Sonny. Uh, he's a Sonny. He's, he's a Sonny. Sonny was Sonny. a womanizer. Sonny's going to get whacked and he's he's a womanizer. Right. But um, <laughs> I think. Whoever watches this, man, I think, you know, whatever side of the political spectrum that you that you go, whether you're I'm sure people who watch this, you know, lean left and stuff. And they, you know, here's some of the stuff that we talk about me in particular and like, oh, fuck him, you know, but um, I'm sure when it comes to Cuomo, you could see everybody. Yeah. You know, at this point, this is Democrat, so easy. Yeah. Conservative, liberal. It's just like, what the F, man? It's like. Between the nursing stuff and between every day, it seems like another person comes out. And some of it, some of it, I'm sure, is piling on type shit. This that is like, of- <laughs> this is the scene in Full Metal Jacket where Private Pile gets the, the soap party. The soap, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, everyone's just walking by. And de Blasio's the last guy, like, fuck you. Yeah, get him, get him. Right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. And then the, the other thing is like, you know, Michael, I'm sure I'll post it on the Twitter feed, but. You know, for anybody out there who's got a chance to look at the post or whoever out there, whatever publication that you want, there's a picture of him walking around the streets of New York City with a bottle and I guess a robe or it looks like. Oh, was that? No, it was on the his mansion, the, the governor's man. He's like okay. wandering the mansion like Vinny the Chin with a robe. He looks like Vinny the Chin. A blanket and a bottle. We're going to segue into, into another segment in a second because I know we're pressed for time mm. today. But um, going along the lines that my wife did Mary Kay for many, many years. I'm sure maybe the woman's watching this. Maybe she's not. But a long story short, we go in there and she's like, oh, my God, my son, my cousin, my, my son can't get onto the police force. And she's crying. She's visibly upset. Christian lady. My wife's like, what's the matter? What's the matter? And I'm like, yeah, wh- wh- why can't he get on the police force? It's because of one of his relatives. We're like, oh, who's his relative? You know, what would prohibit him from getting on NYPD? She's like, oh, his cousin, you know, his cousin. It's, it's a big story. I go, who's his cousin? Oh, Vincent. I'm like, Vincent who? Vincent Giganti. <laughs> so my wife is like, who's that? And I'm like, don't be quiet. Just let's get out of here. Right. So we finish up. She gets the makeup. We walk outside and she's like, who's Vincent the Chin Giganti? I'm like, he's one of the heads of the five crime families in New York City. He's a guy that yeah. went around for years walking around the streets in a row, pretending he's crazy so that he could avoid prosecution. And the analogy is, you know, you got Cuomo walking around with with a blanket and stuff yeah. looking like he's the nutcase. You know, what's the next step? He's going to feign ignorance and feign yeah. stupidity so they can get off and stay in the governor's office. <laughs> yeah, was it? De Blasio already came out and said, I'm not running out. I'm not ruling out a run for governor. Are you kidding me? That guy? He well, ran for president last year and he got like 2% of the vote. It was just I don't even vote. think he got a percent. It was like that bad. He's completely delusional. That but guy. I, I love, <coughs> oh, excuse me, his wife, uh, Charlene. Charlene <laughs> McRae put out one of the funniest little, she did an article, uh, and it's not funny what's going on. There's a, there's a big uptick in Asian Americans being assaulted in uh, 
New York City in the five boroughs, I guess. And she just came out and said, well, if you see an Asian being attacked, help them. Like, okay. So, so we're going back to vigilanteism. Is, is right. that what we're going to do? Yeah. We're just, uh, I think something they don't want people to do is to take the law into their own hands. And she basically came out and said, if, if you see like people being assaulted, you should intervene. Now, and, 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 if uh, you don't know any part of a story and you here, okay, Chris, I'm going to make this real easy. Me and you are white, right? If we see a black guy beating up an Asian guy and we start beating up the black guy and it was the Asian guy's fault. See you later. I might as well just crawl under a rock and right. never come out That's again. Right. I mean, so. No, thank you. Yeah. She, <laughs> she, what she said, I mean, it was just amazing how she just like, you should just intervene, take action. And the bigger problem with that, Mike, you know, and uh, you know, move on, you know, again, with the time constraints and stuff. But here's the deal, man. Look, nobody should be beating up anybody, you know, no. because of the, you know, uh, the, the coronavirus, you know, the Wuhan thing, whatever you want to call it. That's messed up. You know, you know, I don't I don't think anybody agrees with that. But here's the deal. Again, I put that on the government, whether it's the last administration or the current administration. There's a lot of anti-Asian sentiment in this country purely for the fact that this thing, this pandemic that we have, it was never addressed. You know, it came here for one of two things. It wasn't the European flu, like freaking Cuomo said last year. It came from China. Now, did it come from Asian Americans? Absolutely not. Bill Maher touched on it last year. But call it what it is. And let's really get into the, you know, to the nitty gritty of it. Either A, it was made in the lab and it was weaponized against us. Yeah. And it was put against us right around the trade deal last year, which, again, that's far conspiracy theory for some. Yeah, yeah. Or the reality of it is it came out of the wet markets in their culture and it's happened before and it'll probably happen again. So the shit that's happening in Asian Americans and the uptick, it's messed up. And I agree with you on the vigilante piece. Well, let's let's really address the bigger problem. The bigger problem is the Chinese government and what we've all went through for the last year and how everybody ignores it. And when you bring it up, you label as a racist or some sort of xenophobe or whatever the hell you want to call it. And it's messed up and it creates resentment. And unfortunately, the people here they take the brunt of it, which is not right. And I think a lot of them, too, like the Asians, uh, a lot of them are like shopkeepers, you know, small business owners, right, regular people, and man. People, yeah, yeah. And people are yeah. going in and just, you know, messing with them. You know, they're getting assaulted. They're getting robbed. And, you know, it's just solely because of who they are. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the police can do a better job at it. But unfortunately, if you have this many incidents, it, it's, it's so hard to police because it's Absolutely. randomized incidents. A lot of it isn't like one guy just doing it. It's, you know, 50 people on 50 different incidents. That's the problem. You know, talking about robes and talking about walking around in the city, yeah. you know, we talked about famous people off air. And, you know, there's there's something that Mike Mike sent me. Mike is ex, ex-law enforcement. He came across a guy, you know, for the Game of Thrones fans years ago. You know, um, he ran into Peter Dinklage. And, you know, Dinklage, you know, was walking around, I guess, Greenwich Village with his dog. And Mike came across him, showed me the picture. And I thought it was absolutely hysterical. And I'm like, Mike, you know, we should just go into a little bit about, you know, the famous people both of us have encountered throughout the years. Him a lot in the police department, me within the various jobs I've had throughout my years. And Mike's going to show the picture on Twitter, but it's absolutely hysterical. For the Game of Thrones fans out there, I don't know if they know a lot about Peter Dinklage, but he plays the Peter, the, the Tyrion character, the dwarf in Game of Thrones, and he's phenomenal in it. The backstory of Peter Dinklage is that Dinklage always wanted to get a role that was didn't stereotypical of his dwarfism. 
You want to be treated as a regular person. So in Mike's picture, Mike has got a picture of him, I guess, walking his dog in Greenwich Village, wherever it was. And uh, he's, he's, he's like kneeling down to get into the picture. And the picture and the face on, on Peter Dinklage is priceless. It looks like, look at this prick. He's kneeling down. He's making fun of me. And it's just pure comedy. He Michael was, Yeah, he wasn't in a, in a good mood. Uh, I'll give you this, the, the quick backstory is we're driving around. The picture was actually taken, I think, in Chelsea on like uh, between like 9th and 10th Avenue somewhere in like the teens, I think. Anyway, one of the guys in the I never watched Game of Thrones. One of the guys in the car is a big Game of Thrones fan. And I just turned my head and I knew who Pete Dinklage was. I go, there he is right there. That's a guy from the show. He goes, no, it's not. He looked. He went, stop the car. So we, we were in a minivan. We got out. We were all we weren't in uniform. We were in plain clothes and we just walked up to him and we asked him for a picture. And he just had like this. Uh, OK, I guess. And, and then you said in the voice, he, he did like, OK, you have to kneel. You know, yeah, <laughs> like I, I stood next to him, but I'm standing up. So he's like he just and it was weird. You know, the guy, my buddy's there with the camera like this, trying to get us, I guess, both in. And he just looked at me. And he goes, you have to kneel down. And it, in the picture, it's awkward. And the face he makes, it was just not cool. And uh, he walks this. He has a huge Great Dane. Like, he could ride the Great Dane around Manhattan if he wanted to. Uh, he should put a saddle on him. But he, you know, from what yeah, I, I looked heard at from, that picture, I was laughing yeah. hysterically. From what I heard from people, I heard he's a really nice guy. Maybe we just caught him at a bad time. I'm sure... A small little guy like him walking around a huge Great Dane. Plus, he's a famous actor. People probably just stop him all the time. Stop him all the time. And, you know, we might have been the hundredth person that day, but uh, yeah, Pete Dinklage. I ran into a lot of famous people. You know, at uh, you know the, the story I told you last last week with the Egyptian guy that we brought home and got drunk at the fraternity party. Well, we worked at a at a strip club in the early '90s. Me and a couple of my fraternity brothers. Actually, the guy who I plugged the business last week. He basically got us the jobs. And at these places, we ran into a lot of famous people, you know, going back to the Biggie story. I ran into Mike Tyson and LL Cool J the night that CCNY uh, burnt down in 1991. I posted a picture on Twitter. And basically, the story goes is when these people, these famous people came in, they basically cordoned them off and they told you to stay the hell away from them. You know, it's just but it was like impossible. The girls were all over them. Make a long story short, Tyson and LL Cool J, they get to the bar, they're having drinks, and I managed to get up to Tyson, and I'm like, hey, Mike, can you give me an autograph? And he, and he, he gives me the autograph. I couldn't get LL Cool J's autograph, and he writes two muskrat. I said, you know, put my college nickname on it. So I get it on the napkin. I'm really all happy about it, and I go back to everybody, and I'm like, look, I got Tyson's autograph. And on it, it says, if you look at the thing that I posted on Twitter, it says to must rat M U S T W R A T. And I'm like, you gotta be effing kidding me, man. I'm like, the guy spelt muskrat. Maybe he heard me wrong. And I'm thinking I went back and he's like, ah, get out of here. You know, leave me alone. But, um, the other one that I got similar story, I got Mario Lemieux's autograph. I thought I got Mario Lemieux's autograph. He signed it in the name of Paul coffee. So like these guys would come into like these places. I ran into a lot of people and obviously we're, we're pressed for time and stuff. But Michael Jackson is another story. Maybe we'll get around to it at, at some point. But, um, you know, you meet these these people. And like you said, with Dinklage, 
Like some of them are cool and some of them just like they give you such attitudes that they, they, they F with you for no reason. And look, I get some of them, you know, probably yeah. get pressed all the time from the public and stuff. But, you know, some of them, it's like, you know, for Dinklage to do that, you know, you could see it in his face. You know, it's like, come on, man. Yeah, I tell you, like the guy that gets all the stories that he's the coolest guy in the world. And I've actually met him was Keanu Reeves. You told um, me that. Yeah, uh, we were working one night in Manhattan. We were down in the West Village. And we drove by, we're driving by this one bar restaurant. It's probably like one, two o'clock in the morning. And you see all the pop, there was like four or five paparazzi out. So we asked someone like, who's in there? And one of the guys said, James Gandolfini's in there from the Sopranos, Tony Soprano. So we're like, all right, cool. So we sat there for a couple of minutes. He didn't come. These guys said he was coming right out. So I was like, all right, we'll sit here and see if he comes out. Doesn't come out. We keep talking to the guy. He goes, well, we're waiting for him. He goes, but Keanu Reeves is down the block at that bar. And the guy like turns his head. He goes, I think that's him out there smoking a cigarette. So we drive right down the block. Sure enough, Keanu Reeves is having a smoke. And I just said, hey, Keanu, what's up? And oh, hey, how are you? He wasn't sure what to make of us. I mean, it was like two white guys in a minivan at three o'clock in the morning. And then he kind of looked over and he's like, are you guys cops? I said, I'm a cop, but you are an FBI agent. One of the best lines ever. But he came over, he shook our hands. Very nice. Thank you for all you're doing and all that. This has had this had to be like 10 years ago. I think. Yeah, this is before John Wick. And that's cool as hell, man. And, and he's a really nice guy. And I met Harrison Ford in my dad's building back in the day. He was cool. But I guess we really should end it on this note. Right, Mike? How about a mutual, uh, I guess, person that I didn't personally meet, but my father met and you met and who, went, I guess, went through a big breakup this week. Ava. Ava. Yeah, Ava, J-Lo, it's over. Guys, you got a chance. She so, brings them Thanos now. Michael met him. I guess he'll tell you the autograph story in a second. But my dad, my dad is like the antithesis of me. He's like this really Christian guy. He's a really nice guy. Anybody who's met my father, they're like, you know, when me and Michael were in the Boy Scouts at one point, the Boy Scout leader came up to me and Michael and he's like, how is this guy related to this guy? This guy's like a saint and this guy's like the devil, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, make a long story short. My father likes everybody. He ran into A-Rod one, one year. I guess he was looking at apartments on the Upper West Side in the building where my father worked. And he's like, he came home and he told me, he goes, Chris, I know, you know, we're both big Yankee fans. And he's like, I met Alex Rodriguez. And I go, what you think of him, dad? Um, he goes, he's an asshole. He looked at me like I was a piece of garbage, like a piece of shit. Like he didn't even want to acknowledge like you know, my father was there. And, you know, my father's a very humble guy. You know how he is. Yeah. And it's like for my father to say that, I know the guy really wasn't such a nice guy. You and I have a mutual friend, Matt. I think he works with, uh, you know, Derek Jeter on some level. He's told me some stories with uh, about Jeter, uh, about A-Rod as well, you know. And then I guess you have a story with him with the autograph story outside of Yankee Stadium, where I think he told me off air that just doesn't really. Yeah, he just he, he always kind of had like a, a sour puss on his face. And the day I got his autograph, he was uh, it was like he had just signed with the Yankees like a week earlier and there was no one at the stadium. And he came walking in and I asked him for an autograph and he said, when I come back. Now, he didn't know I was going to stand there for eight hours because that's where I was supposed <laughs> to stand. So when he came walking back like three or four hours later, he had this, oh, shit, this guy is still here. Look on his face. I pulled out the baseball. He didn't even look at me, took the baseball, 
signed it, handed it back to me without looking and just walked away like he didn't give a shit. He's one of these. I mean, you get it to a point where these guys are bombarded daily. Right. Probably every hour someone's coming up to him. But here's another crazy A-Rod story. I was working all night. We're doing uh, I was in narcotics. I was on 14th Street and 9th Avenue. And now there was undercovers walking around in the area. And one of the guys that was also out on the street gets on the radio and he goes, look at 14 and nine right now. You know, whatever, like the northwest corner of 14 and nine. So I look over and there's the one of my detectives. A-Rod is standing right next to him and no one's even walking up to him. It was like one of those things. Like, I mean, the meat market, that meatpacking district down there, there was always celebrities walking around. And this guy just happened to be standing like right next to A-Rod. Yeah, you get that, man. I mean, my brother Jason ran into a couple of famous people, too, like on the uh, on the Upper West Side. The most famous story I can tell you about him. He had, uh, I guess, Demi Moore and Bruce Willis in his building one time and Brad Pitt. They came across. He says they were ultra cool people. He goes. But on the flip side, he was like he was running a freight elevator in, in a very wealthy building on the Upper West Side. And Billy Squire, the you know, the singer lived there. And going back to what we're talking about, as far as some of these people being cool, some of these people being dicks, you know, my brother Jason goes, I guess he delivers his, 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 his packages, gives him a tip and Jason walks away and he goes, wait, 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 wait. He goes, don't you know who I am? My brother's like, you're, you're Billy Squire, right? He goes, I'm Billy Squire. He goes, I, I'm, you know, and he looked at my brother like, you know. <laughs> but I didn't recognize who the hell he was. Or why aren't you bowing down to why me? Why aren't you bowing down to <laughs> me? Like, why aren't you recognizing me? So he comes home and he goes, you know, Jason likes music and stuff like I do. And he's like, yo, do you know this guy, Billy Squire? I'm like, yeah, bro. I mean, he's, you know, stroke, you know, yeah. uh, you know, he's like, dude, this guy looks so hurt that I didn't recognize him. Like, you know, like you were talking about A-Rod as far as on the corner, nobody approaching him. Like yeah. he had such a puss on his face that I didn't really recognize who the hell he was. He walked away. He goes, you know, I was almost ready to laugh in his face because the guy looked like he was ready to cry that I didn't <laughs> recognize that he was Billy Squire. But, uh, you know, um, we could go on and on about this. I have so many stories. I met Michael Jackson in Trump Tower one time. We'll go into that, I guess, at some point. Uh, I met Harrison Ford. I'm sure at some point we'll talk a little bit more about the, the people that you've encountered on yeah. NYPD, which I'm sure there's many, but. No. Yeah, yeah, we both have enough stories that we could fill probably like two or three shows of like the people we met. Um, but while we wrap this thing up, uh, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Uh, favorite St. Patrick's Day movies? I mean, my favorite holiday outside of Halloween, my friend. I'm not Irish, but my wife is. Some of my best friends, including you, are Irish. I've always had great times with uh, the Irish, you know. Being me and Michael, you know, we're part Maltese, which is part of the English yeah. empire for many years. So if anything, I'm part English versus Irish. I know they don't really mix too well, but um, in terms of favorite St. Patrick's Day events, and uh, I guess we should hold off until until next week. But just a couple that I like. I like State of Grace. I like The Quiet Man. And uh, oh, the Michael Collins movie, which I guess we'll go into a little bit more next week. Yeah, we can talk about that more next week. I'm just going to throw Boondock Saints on there because I love that one. Yeah, it was a great flick. The sequel, not so much. But uh, let's start wrapping this up. What do you got to plug, Chris? So as always, DJ Chris Clash, my business. COVID's coming to an end. Ready to rock and roll. We had a little soiree at my house that was a little uh, muted. 
but it's nice to get together with people. The music is always a big part of it. So please check out my website. Uh, make sure that you, uh, if you have any musical needs, if you have parties coming up, make sure to book me in advance because I can tell you when things are over and everybody's ready to rock and roll, um, it's going to be very busy to the point uh, where I think it's going to be very yeah. difficult you know, for some, for some people to get, you know, you know, yeah. some vendors. This country's going to be like spring break, um, man. The whole country. Please plug. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I, and it's going to be great, Mike. It really mm. is. Um, Five Star Shopping by my, my buddy Tommy Devitt. Uh, Dumpling is his website browser. Uh, please check it out, you know, if you have any shopping needs. He also runs the Mad Donkey in Astoria. So, again, you know, for those in the Astoria area, check it out. Uh, Tommy's run a whole bunch of nightclubs and places throughout the years. You know, his places are always a good time, so check it out. La Familia out here in Smithtown, uh, great restaurant. You know, I don't know if they got the liquor license back, but please support them. They've done a lot for the community out here. And, uh, you know, lastly, my friend Jay, Jay Cristiano, we talk about him every week, refis, mortgages, what have you, Cardinal Financial. Uh, please check that out. I gave the number out last week. I don't have it offhand, so I'm sorry, but check out Cardinal Financial. All right. Uh, check out Cardinal Financial. Jay's a good dude. He'll hook you up. Uh, as for me, check my buddy Jack out. I can't paint. Guy's always down to do commissions, does great artwork. Go check out his site on Instagram. I can paint some great, great stuff he's got on there. Also, SOF Bad Monkey, Paulie and the Boys, Vets for Vets, uh, a great podcast. Uh, talking about all stuff like they're all like ex-Marine guys. They have like Navy SEALs on telling stories about how they killed 18 people with a toothpick. It's real cool shit. Uh, guys are all like legit badass dudes that they interview. So go check that uh, that podcast out. Uh, as always, please like, subscribe, share. Please, you like if, if you like the show, share it with someone you know. That's easy enough. Listen on Spotify up. too, folks. You know, if you go to work, you know, yeah. they're going back and forth, plug it in on the audio end, enjoy it. Yeah. You you know, I've got I, a lot of iTunes and Spotify. We're both on. Yeah. So, you know, absolutely you check us out. Me and Michael, you know, we'll wrap it up on this note. I'm sure Mike's got a couple other things to mention, but uh, the last thing I wanted to mention to you, I think we were talking about maybe doing a live feed, you know, where we get some interaction with some of you folks, which would be cool. You know, so we're trying to figure out the logistics of that. You know, Mike will keep you posted and please check out the pictures on Twitter. You know, Mike's uh, Mike's got a nice Twitter account for the uh, the podcast. The Cuomo pick and the Dinklage pick are priceless. And on that note, we'll see you guys next week. Enjoy your St. Patrick's Day. Have fun. Bye bye. Aaron Gobra, folks. Yeah.